And whether you're quarantined in the house or not, you still don't want your gym bag being all nasty. Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure your stuff stays in check. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to your junk. Thanks to their lawnmower 3.0, Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. While you're probably at home looking for something to do, why not make manscaping a part of your new routine? You don't want to look like you're sitting on Ming's shoulders from WCW, and you don't want Brutus the Barber Beefcake chomping away down there, and you dang sure don't want to use that Freebird hair removal cream. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. Precision engineered tools for your family jewels. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with new and improved lawnmower 3.0, waterproof, cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Your goods are going to be nick free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. Inside the Perfect Package you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. You're probably sitting on the couch like Al Bundy right now anyway, so you might as well keep everything smooth and fresh. Subscribe to the perfect package to get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer stays fresh and clean. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing manscaped boxer briefs this is the perfect package for your perfect package get 20 percent off and free shipping with code slopdrop at manscaped.com that's slopdrop s-l-o-p-d-r-o-p do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the promo code slopdrop s-l-o-p-d-r-o-p That's a slot drop. I can answer that. That's a slot drop. What is that move? That's a slot drop. Slot drop time. That's a slot drop. Slot drop. Slot drop. Slot drop. The slot drop indeed. What's up, wrestling fans? Welcome back to the slot drop. This is Mason Rogers at Wupig Sumo on Twitter and my tag team partner for this episode is the loose cannon of the Twin Lakes Sports Network, David McVee. Man, I am pumped up about this week's episode. This is a blast from the past. Uh, I remember cover uh, um, this show back when I was 10 years old and it first came out. Uh, this is going to be a good one today. Uh, we're going back in time to 1988. Man, we took part in a uh, graduation ceremony on Friday night and one man come to mind when I heard the music, and that was the Macho Man Randy Savage. And we're close enough to SummerSlam. I think it's a good time to cover WWF SummerSlam from August 29th, 1988, from Madison Square Garden in New York City. Welcome to New York City, and welcome to Madison Square Garden, the site of some of sports and entertainment's greatest events of all time. And here we are in this site for the World Wrestling Federation's SummerSlam 88. 20,000 in attendance commentators were Gorilla Monsoon and the superstar Billy Graham. Mean Gene Oakland and Sean Mooney handled the interviews, and Howard Finkel was the ring announcer. Man, that really threw me off when the show started. I mean, I hadn't watched SummerSlam 88 in, geez, I mean, forever. And it really caught me off guard. I was like, superstar Billy Graham was uh, the broad- one of the broadcasters for this show, Brother. but I forgot... Yeah, Ventura was, you know, going to be the special guest referee, but uh, 
I should have done a brother count this week. We should have done a poll over and under how many times will he say brother. But uh, hey, it was a it was an interesting open. I love that little cheesy uh, late '80s uh, video graphic that they had. Uh, the thing I really like, I I is it me or I absolutely love it when they show Andre the Giant's face and he has that evil look. <laughs> they did that where they showed you know uh, the Million Dollar Man, then all of a sudden you see the hands. And then you see the big evil eyes. I mean, I absolutely loved it. This was the very first SummerSlam. And the pay-per-view did about 400,000 buys, which was quite impressive for 1988. Especially when you consider that just five months earlier, WrestleMania pulled in 485,000 buys. SummerSlam would go on to be one of the big four, a staple to WWF pay-per-views, which is still going strong over 30 years later. Yeah, man, it's definitely one of the big, uh, big four uh, this was really the first other really big event that I remember after WrestleMania. I mean, this was the number two uh, pay-per-view. And it would, over the next several years after this episode, I mean, some classics when you really look back uh, to these SummerSlams. World champions at the time. Randy Macho Man Savage was the world heavyweight champion. Honky Tonk Man was the intercontinental champion. Demolition was the tag team champions. And Sensational Sherry was the women's champ. First match of the night, the British Bulldogs, Davy Boy Smith and Dynamite Kid versus the fabulous Rougeau brothers, Jocks and Raymond, went to a 20-minute time limit draw, which was also the longest match on the card. The time limit has expired, and the referee's official decision, this contest is ruled a draw. Davy Boy Smith went on to be very successful in his wrestling career. Passed away in 2002, scheduled to be inducted in this year's 2020 Hall of Fame. However, due to the coronavirus, that's been put off. Well, seeing this match right here, when's the last time we have seen a time limit draw in any of the stuff that we watch nowadays? It's almost like Very a lost rare. art form. I mean, in the late 80s, you'd see a lot of it in the NWA. You got, you know, Flair and Sting going, all, going 45 minutes. Then, you know, this match right here, I really like having that that draw you know as long as it's not overused but just every once in a while the way that it's set it up i thought was really good uh man davy boy smith looked absolutely jack uh we know you know his tag team partner dynamite kid i mean you know i always heard how much chris benoit really liked dynamite kid and i could see how much he really patterned himself mm-hmm. i hadn't watched dynamite kid in years but it was like watching benoit so you can tell that benoit really patterned himself after the kid Dynamite Kid, uh, lots of personal struggles. He ended up becoming paralyzed in a wheelchair, uh, believed to be due to injuries sustained from doing that headbutt off the top rope, a move made famous by Harley Race, who said that he's regretted making that popular. Uh, Jacques Rougeau, later known as the Mountie, won the Intercontinental title in 93, later teamed up with PCO as the Quebecers won in the WWF tag titles multiple times. Uh, Raymond went on to become a successful business owner, and dabbled in some Canadian politics. Also still helps the WWE as the French language commentator. Yeah, I mean, two two good tag teams. Uh, the Bulldogs definitely over coming into this one. The Bulldogs really had, if you really go back to from WrestleMania 2, where they won the tag team belts, and then, you know, four or five years later, they were really... They were really at the zenith of tag teams at that time, and they could work. Uh, they were young, athletic. Uh, the British Bulldog, absolutely loved the British Bulldog. I just wish he could have learned to cut a promo. This would be the final 
WWE pay-per-view for the British Bulldogs as a tag team. And not long after this, there was some legit heat between these two teams. Jacques Rougeau blamed Dynamite Kid for cutting up his clothes as a rib, when actually it turned out to be Kurt Henning that did it. Uh, Dynamite confronted them about being blamed for it, ended up punching both Rougeaus. Jacques punched Dynamite back in the face with a fist loaded with a roll of quarters, knocking out four of his teeth. Because of Dynamite's history of bullying, many wrestlers thought he finally got what he deserved, and many claimed he never quite recovered from that humiliation. And from the things I've heard about Dynamite, just not a, not a nice guy, not a nice man. Uh, you know, the British Bulldog, of course, he would, after he would lead this, he would go on and become a great single star. Yeah. I, and a guy who came really close to winning the championship. I was listening to a Jim Ross podcast the other day, and he's like, man, if Bulldog just could have learned to cut a promo, uh, he just would have been absolutely fantastic. And he came really close in 92 after he beat Brett at SummerSlam in 1992, that huge match uh, at Wembley Stadium. Uh, but just a, just a great start. I thought this was a great opening match. I thought it was it was very entertaining. That 20 minutes went by fast. Gorilla Monsoon then announced that Brutus the Barber Beefcake will no longer compete for the Intercontinental title later on tonight due to being viciously attacked by the outlaw Ron Bass with metal spurs to his face days prior. But the Honky Tonk Man will defend the IC title against a mystery opponent later on in the show. Brutus the Barber Beefcake, taking the advice of his physician, will not wrestle for the Intercontinental title against the Honky Tonk Man here in SummerSlam 88, but we have been informed that there will indeed be an Intercontinental title defense. We don't have a clue who that may be at this time, but it will be the number one contender. The outlaw, when they said the outlaw Ron Bass, I was like, there's only one outlaw I know, <laughs> and that's in Mid-States Wrestling. But now, nah, um, yeah, it was funny how, how uh, I guess, you know, uh, uh, he got busted. Brutus, the freaking barber beefcake, got his head busted open, and they did these big, huge X's censored over it. And it's like, all right, uh, you know, Hogan at WrestleMania, had, you know, he had he had been bleeding profusely with WrestleMania five when he fought against Macho. Uh, you know, it was just kind of interesting how they kind of pushed that. Uh, but it, it was uh, those little segments they do, though. I like how they did it to kind of continue the story and explain right. the story. They really use those time in between matches well. Second match of the night, Bad News Brown defeated Ken Patera by pinfall after a ghetto blaster, which is a Savat kick. Oh, there it is, the ghetto blaster. He caught Patera right in the back of the neck. Oh, what a move. I believe was. it's over. Here is your winner, Bad News Brown. Bad News Brown, a 1976 Olympic bronze medal winner in judo in the heavyweight division, still remains the only American heavyweight to have won an Olympic medal in judo. He passed away in 20, 2007. Uh, Terra, an Olympic weightlifter. On an even more interesting note, four years prior to this, on April 6, 1984, Patera was denied service at a Wisconsin McDonald's after they had closed for the night. He gets pissed off, throws a rock through the window, and then assaults the responding police officers. Ended up doing two years in prison so here he is back after prison with WWF trying to get his wrestling career back on track. I mean, which this nev- was, which never really took off. Yeah, I mean, really, when he came back, he was pretty much a jobber. Uh, really, yeah, I kind of I, I looked him up as well, too, because it's like, 
I've heard the name Ken Patera a lot, but I didn't really know a lot about him. And when he came out wearing the Olympic jacket, they were talking about the Olympic background. I'm like, let me kind of research this guy. And he was, uh, you know, he was an Olympic weightlifter. He was also uh, finished third in the World's Strongest Man contest. Uh, you know, still holds several weightlifting records in the United States. So, you know, just a strong, strong guy. Um, almost kind of killed himself. I mean, he had a lot of matches. Uh, well, not kill himself, but destroyed his career. Uh, you know, he was battling Bob Backlund for the uh, heavyweight championship in the early 80s, was right on that cusp, and then in 84 did something he shouldn't have done. And, uh, man, he just really wanted his McDonald's that night. I must wonder <laughs> if maybe there's a little bit of roid rage mixed in with the that. Hamburglar. But yeah, the poor Hamburglar, man. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, really kind of sabotaged his own career. But then, uh, you know, from what I read after that, ended up, uh, you know, kind of – coming back from it and uh, used his experience to kind of teach some kids, uh, you know, uh, a path you shouldn't go down. But that's crazy, man. Think about that. He got two years. Of course, he assaulted. I guess he beat up a bunch of police officers that showed up. But, I mean, you can kill someone now and not even get two years. Me, Gene Oakland, then interviewed the Mega Powers who claim they have a secret weapon to use against the Mega Bucks. In the main event. Hey, no, man, They've already made a believer out of me, man. A couple hours before the match, you can already feel Madison Square Garden rumbling, brother. I know what Hulkamania feels like. I know what the Macho Madness feels like. But together as one, that's the mega powers. We definitely are the strongest force in the universe. And the dude here is going in with a clear conscience. I've never built so much electricity. Oh, yeah. I'm talking the mania and the madness together. There's the mega powers, yeah. And besides that, Minji Oakland, oh, yeah. We have a secret weapon. Oh, yeah. You don't think we go into this thing without the 24-inch pythons loaded, brother? We've got Elizabeth, our secret weapon, and the last thing those mega bucks are gonna see is the kiss of death, Minji. Oh, my ladies and gentlemen, stand what by for this one. What are they going to do when the mega powers come running through? No way to stop us. <laughs> oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. Third match of the night, ravishing Rick Rude with the greatest manager of all time, Bobby the Brain. He would like to have right now is for all you fat, ugly, inner city sweat hogs. Keep the noise down while I take my robe off and show the ladies what a real sexy man looks like. Defeated the junkyard dog by disqualification after Rude revealed tights underneath his tights with Cheryl Roberts' face on them, who at the time was Jake the Snake Roberts' wife. Jake comes out, attacks Rude, getting JYD disqualified. That's Cheryl Roberts' face, brother. Oh, Jake the Snake on a Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of this bout, as a result of a disqualification, Ravishing Rick Rude. Man, I loved watching Ravishing Rick Rude. Uh, I mean, just watching him work, he was a technician in the ring. I mean, he was outweighed big time, a much smaller man than JYD, but he pretty much dominated most of the action. Uh, poor JYD. Uh, he he looked gassed. About two minutes in, you could tell he was exhausted. Maybe that's all they could do was have Rude keep grabbing holds. But uh, yeah, you know, I, the the you know the what he used to his attire he used to wear to the ring with the robe and then the trunks that would have people's face on it. I mean, he had that crowd in the palm of his hand, and then also having Bobby the Brain Heenan uh, 
uh, and he was absolutely a heat seeker, a legend. And JYD, man, if he could have stayed in shape and stayed off some of the nose candy, uh, you know, he might have been able to have a lot, a lot bigger career. I mean, he still had an enormous career, but I know I heard Jim Ross talking about it. Uh, they used to have to have a guy that just went with JYD just to be the guy that's going to take care of him because uh, he did have a little coke habit, but a lot of people did in the 80s. This will be JYD's final pay-per-view for WWE. He would go on to the NWA, but died in 1998, 1998 from a car accident. Rick Rude died in 99 at the age of 40. An autopsy showed that uh, he died from an overdose of mixed medications. Both Hall of Famers, Ravishing Rick Rude, one of my favorite heels of all time, and probably one of the best wrestlers to never hold the WWF title. Yeah, definitely a legend. And, you know, when you look the couple years after this, the Ultimate Warrior uh, would ultimately become the guy to take the torch from Hogan for a small period of time. He made, you know, I think the matches that he would ultimately end up having with the Ultimate Warrior made the Ultimate Warrior what he was. Oh, um, sure. Rude knew how to get guys over. And he is an all-time legend. Me and Gene then interviewed the Honky Tonk Man and Jimmy Hart about their upcoming title defense. You, Brutus and Barber, Beefcake wasn't going to wrestle the greatest intercontinental heavyweight champion of all time. But the Honky Tonk Man, being the humanitarian that I am, I'd say, World Wrestling Federation, give me anybody. Let me have somebody to wrestle. (laughs) You will be defending the Intercontinental title here tonight in Madison Square Garden. And there is rumor afloat right now that a very formidable man will be stepping into the ring with you to to challenge you for that title. That man happens to be... No, don't you say who it is because I don't want him to know. I don't want anybody to know because I want to surprise everybody. I want this to be the biggest... Wait wait a minute. This man has extraordinary physical capabilities and, and very excited about this opportunity. Oh, oh so he is what? Not don't, you, don't you say who it is. I said I wanted to surprise him because I don't care who it is. See, the honky-tonk man, the greatest intercontinental heavyweight champion of all time, can shake, rattle, and roll anybody the WWF throws at me. Honky-tonk man says he wants it to remain a mystery because he's the greatest intercontinental champion of all time and has no worries. You know by now to stand on your feet and show a little respect while Conrad Volkov sees the Russian National Anthem. Nikolai Volkov giving us his rendition of the Russian National Anthem, which certainly leaves a lot to be desired. Fourth match of the night, the Powers of Pain, Warlord and Barbarian, defeated the Bolsheviks, Boris Zukov and Nikolai Volkov with the, the Doctor of Style Slick as his manager. After a power slam by Warlord, then a diving headbutt off the top rope for the Barbarian. To- oh, power slam nailed him. Barbarian, oh! Stick the fork in Boris. He's done. Get the official word. Here are your winners, the Powers of Pain. Well, the Powers of Pain looked really good in this match. Uh, the Barbarian, I was always really impressed by him, even when he get in WCW with him and Ming. Could you imagine him and Ming? That'd be two guys you'd never want to mess oh, yeah. with. Real-life cousins from Tonga, by the way, too. Yeah, do not mess with those dudes. But uh, I thought this was i thought this was a good match. I thought the Powers of Pain looked really good. Uh, I, I really like, I mean, if you notice, though, the first couple matches, every match has a manager. I know we talked about this, I think, last week. These older pay-per-views, the use of a manager was so critical. You know, Bobby the Brain Heenan and then Slick. You know, get, get, we got to give some love for Slick, man. I mean, think about some of the guys he represented at, 
in the uh, in the late '80s. I mean, he was uh, he was the man. So uh, just some great managing legends. Uh, but the and, powers and, of pain another, looking big. And another manager in this match was the Baron for the uh, powers of pain, Baron von Raschke. Yeah, he kind of had a weird look. Uh, you know the the outfit that he was wearing, and all you could basically see was his chin. And actually, yeah, they had it, him yeah, it took me a little time before I realized, oh, that's Baron von Raschke from the AWA. But uh, you know, when you think about it too, this this show, a lot of former AWA talent uh, was in this show. You know, guys like Ravishing Rick Root, guys like you know Baron von Raschke, and all those guys, uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, you know, they had really purged a lot of the territories and uh, just had a great roster of talent and legends. The Brother Love show, where Brother Love, then a 25-year-old Bruce Pritchard, interviewed Hacksaw Jim Duggan after trading insults. Hacksaw gives Brother Love to the count of five to leave before he gives the fans a real treat and sticks his two-by-four where the sun don't shine. Hacksaw makes it to four, and Brother Love runs to the back. I just want to give you a count of five to get out of here, or all these people are going to be in for a real treat, tough guy. You would not touch me with that two by four. I am a man of love. Whoa! Well, I mean, this segment was what it was, but I've always wondered about what it could have been if it would have been who was really supposed to be there that night. Yes, they had hyped this up as a big special guest leading up to this event. It was, wasn't was supposed to be Duggan. Originally, it was supposed to be none other than the nature boy, Rick Flair. According to Flair, him and McMahon were heavy negotiations over the summer of 88. Flair was unhappy in the NWA. Advance had promised him a main event spot, which would have been a world title match against Randy Savage. Flair decided to stay with the NWA and have loyalty to the company. This was going to be the debut of the Nature Boy Ric Flair into the WWF. So it was going to be on the Brother Love Show. We were going to announce that, that Ric Flair had joined and that he was here now. Um, and that didn't, you know, it just kept falling through. But it, it was it was close then it wasn't close then it was close then it wasn't close and it uh, ended up not happening so duggan had been gone for a little while and this was kind of duggan's duggan's return too so it was vince was like we'll do duggan oh uh, i mean could you imagine the crowd pop if the nature boy rick flair would have walked out i mean jim duggan got a good pop Flair would have took it to a absolutely whole new level. The Intercontinental Championship match, the mystery opponent ended up to be the Ultimate Warrior who defeated the Honky Tonk Man to become the new Intercontinental Champion in about 31 seconds. One of the longest Intercontinental title reigns in WWF history ended with one of the shortest Intercontinental title matches in WWF history. Get me somebody out here to wrestle. I don't care who it is. Ultimate Warrior exploding here on the Honky Tonk Officially underway. The Warrior doesn't know what to do. He's so excited. 
<laughs> the title definitely up for grabs here. Oh, yeah. Flash hooks the leg. That he is. got it. Man. History once again made here, Madison Square Garden. The winner of this contest. Well, this is the match that really started propelling uh, the Warrior into the, a new stratosphere. And he that crowd was pumped. And, and Warrior was over. Say what you will a lot about maybe how his career ended up at the end. But and this night, when, when his music hit and he hit the ring, that crowd was pumped. And probably the uh, second biggest pop of the night behind Hogan. According to Pritchard, the Honky Tonk Man had no problem dropping the title on this night, but he did refuse to let Warrior do his overhead press slam on him, and he wanted the match to be quick. Well, Warrior was known for really hurting guys, and it's almost kind of painful. You know, I, I'm watching the old WrestleManias, and I watched it where uh, he ended up, I think it was, uh, he lost to, I think it was Ravishing Rick Rude. Uh, he, he ended up losing to him at WrestleMania 5, and then he, you know, cornered Bobby the Brain Heenan, and I know uh, in the old DVD, the uh, destruction of the Ultimate Warrior, whatever that DVD was called, uh, you know, that was the thing, man. He didn't really take care of the guys he worked with. He was just loose, out of control. Uh, but, you know, he was starting off in the stratosphere and would ultimately be the one to take the torch from Hulk Hogan just two short years after this. Honky Talk Man and Warrior, both WWE Hall of Famers. Warrior passed away in 2014. Ironically, the same weekend, he was inducted to the Hall of Fame. Sixth match of the night, Dino Bravo with Frenchie defeated the original Rock, Don Morocco, by pinfall after a sidewalk slam. Oh, the side suplex! The side oh, Here is your winner, Canada's strongest man, Dino Bravo! He then joined in on commentary for this match. This would be Morocco's final WWE pay-per-view. Yeah, Morocco, I mean, he had some, you know, think about some of the rivalries he had during his WWF tenure. Uh, you know, who could forget the match with him and Superfly in the garden? You know, he was over in the crowd. Then, of course, he had uh, Superstar Billy Graham as his manager uh, for a couple years before that. But, uh, I mean, he was a guy, big guy, but he could work. He was a pretty good technician in there. Uh, and these were just two powerful guys, of course, uh, Dino Bravo, we've talked a lot about Dino Bravo. Uh, you know, his career, he'd get the victory here, but just a few years later, uh, he'd no longer be with us. Yeah, we did a whole episode on him, episode 79. Basically was assassinated in his own home in 1993 at the age of 43, more than likely related to his ties to the mafia. Yeah, and I couldn't help but think about that when I was watching this match. Uh you know, but but Dino Bravo, uh, you know, he could work. And these were just two. The, the thing I really noticed, man, every single one of these guys was freaking enormous. There was no, yeah. there was no small guys. I think the smallest guy I saw in the card was probably Brett the Hitman Hart. Uh, and uh, or, you know, all these guys were just so jacked up. And watching these two guys jacked up, I mean, it just kind of wore me out. But uh, Don Morocco, legend, uh, you know, Hall of Famer. Uh, Dino Bravo of you know tragic end to his career. 
Sean Moody then interviewed Jesse the Body Ventura about being the special guest referee for tonight's main event. First of all, let me say this, Moody. This is the first good decision President Jack Tunney has ever made, in my opinion, because I'm the only man searching worldwide who could step into this ring and take care of a match of this magnitude. Now, you're accusing me of accepting money from the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase? Well, are you a fool? Huh? I saw well, let me add it. Yeah, you witness. saw it. He walks up. He stuffs $100 bills in my jacket. Hey, if somebody wants to give me money, I'm no fool. I'm going to take the money. Seventh match of the night, Demolition, Axe and Smash, with Mr. Fuji, another manager, and also the Hart Foundation's former manager, Colonel Jimmy Hart, defeated the Hart Foundation to retain the tag titles by pinfall after Axe hits Brett with Jimmy Hart's megaphone when the ref wasn't looking. Smash rolls Rolls over, covers Brett, scores the pin. The Colonel got the megaphone to Axe, and he just clobbered a hitman with it. A miscarriage of justice. I know a lot of people give Demolition grief. They say, oh, they were just a Legion of Doom Road Warrior ripoff. But I... I personally, man, their theme, their entrance song, I think is yeah. probably one of the better entrance songs in all of pro wrestling. And, of course, they would turn face not long after this. But uh, I have really enjoyed their work, and I thought they never got a chance to have the rivalry when the Road Warriors finally showed up. I know they had a couple throwaway matches. But I thought they were a legitimate team. I thought they was a good working team. Of course, the Hart Foundation, man, one of the best tag teams of all time. Uh, Brett the Hitman Hart. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting watching him in the Land of Giants in this late 80s and ultimately how wrestling would change so much and it become about the work rate by the mid-90s compared to, you know, Hart, you know, losing all the time to these big giant guys. I agree. Demolition was one of my favorite tag teams. Uh, one of the best there ever has been in WWF. Of course, they went on, uh, after they broke up Smash, they made him into the Repo Man. That was freaking ridiculous. But Heart Foundation in the Hall of Fame, Demolition is not. Probably has a lot to do with them being a part of an ugly lawsuit against the WWE back in the day. Man, they gotta be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, they they were one of the, you know, probably one of the premier tag teams. Uh, if not the premier, definitely, you know, they had a couple WrestleManias where they're getting some monster pops, and you know, even as heels in this one, you when they came out and their music, there was uh, teenage guys that were sitting there pumping their arms. They liked them, even though they were the bad guys. Uh, I really, uh, they should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. And hey, I mean, if the Ultimate Warrior can make peace with the WWE, I'm sure eventually one day they'll probably get in. There's so many deserving tag teams, and they really need to try to put more than one tag team per year in the Hall of Fame. Backstage, we see an interview with Jimmy Hart and an irate honky-tonk man after losing to the Warrior. I've been ripped off. I've been robbed. Ever since I've been in the WWF, they've tried to do something like this to me. They jumped me from behind. They beat me up out there with some Warrior. I said I'd wrestle anybody, but I didn't say I'd wrestle a Warrior. No, but they sent a Warrior out there. They sent some Warrior. That's my belt. The belt belongs to me. I'm the 
greatest of all time. I'll always be the greatest of all time. And I don't care what you do, Warrior. That's my belt. The belt belongs to me, Gene. It's mine. I've held it longer than anybody. And I'm going to get it back. If it's the last thing I do in the WWF, I'm going to get my belt back. It's my belt. Eighth match of the night. Big Boss Man with Slick defeated Coco Beware by pinfall after a Boss Man slam. Oh, there it is. That patented side move of his flattened him. It's over. Both Boss Man and Coco Beware in the Hall of Fame. We talked about Boss Man just last week, I believe, about how uh, WWF and NWA always used a rhyme, but WCW just never could pin down what to do with them. Well, I have a question for you. Shoot. Did Coco Beware ever win a match <laughs> in the late 80s? I don't know. He's one of the most famous jobbers. Uh, well, isn't a Hall of Fame, so yeah, I, I don't think he did. I don't. I mean, I've been watching all these old eighties. I'm watching all the WrestleManias. And he loses every match, but I mean, he, it's funny. He's still so over with the crowd as soon as they see the bird and he starts dancing. But Frankie. but yeah, he really was probably the most famous jobber of the WWF in the late eighties. Sean Moody interviewed the Ultimate Warrior backstage on becoming the new Intercontinental Champion. Warrior delivers a typical nonsensical promo, screaming and babbling about spaceships and parts unknown. You thought it was something like that in a comic book, brother, but we're talking about real life. I was sitting in parts unknown, waiting for the next spaceship, the higher planes, and the lightning bolts came down from the sky, and the warrior spoke, and they said, make it to the garden. Well, the ultimate warrior showed, and Aki talked, man, you gave the challenge, and the ultimate warrior, and the little warriors with all the painted faces rose to the challenge, and they conquered. I'm taking all the little words through all the darkness and all the pain. And Honky Talk Man, if you want a piece of me or anybody thinks they can take on all the warriors, I'm not hard to find. I'll be on the next spaceship to parts on. No! Hey, did you see the guys behind him, their facial reactions? They, yeah, they, they didn't want to be there. I mean, they're like, uh, poor, poor British Bulldog. <laughs> it was funny. He was kind of angling himself so we could do a flex it was you know like we were making fun of luger because luger the camera got on him you know the other day and he's like oh let me make sure i flex bulldog <laughs> you could tell they were all thinking they're like this guy is taking this way too freaking serious you could tell that everyone in the room realized it was a joke except for the guy that was cutting the promo the ultimate warrior who it's all real man i really won the championship Ninth match of the night, Jake the Snake Roberts defeating Hercules Hernandez by pinfall after a DDT. Oh, sneaks over the back. He did it. He nailed him with a DDT. He pulled him out from the left. I don't believe my eyes, but can he pin him? Does he have He's rolling around there. Now he's rolling over on top of Yes, he got out. Here we go, Jake the Snake Jake the inventor and the master of the DDT. Gets the win and then puts this python Damien all over Hercules to slither around. Hercules passed away in 2004. Jake Roberts still on fire as a manager in AEW. Now, who would have thought? Think think about all these guys that have passed away, which unfortunately all these episodes we do, you always have so (laughs) many to name. All these guys have passed away, and the one guy, if you would have taken a poll in, you know, the early 90s and say, who's going to live the longest – yeah. You know, and go through these guys. Do you think anyone would have thought it'd be Jake the Snake Roberts? And and yet he's still involved in professional wrestling in a 
pretty big gig. I mean, you know, who who would have thought? But Jake the Snake, man, he was over in the crowd when his music hit. He they would get pumped up for him. And uh, Hercules and Hernandez, man, that guy was uh, he was stout, man. There was a lot of uh, it would have been interesting to be backstage uh, with these guys leading up to the event. I, I bet you there was a lot of oil and a lot of uh, pumping of iron going on. <laughs> a lot of cocaine. Uh, main event time. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of SummerSlam. This is what we've been waiting for. Tenth match of the night, Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man Randy Savage, the Mega Powers, with Miss Elizabeth, defeated the Mega Bucks, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and Andre the Giant with Bobby the Brain Heenan and Virgil. They went by pinfall. Mega Powers revealed their secret weapon, which was Miss Elizabeth taking off her skirt and standing on the ring apron in her panties, distracting the Mega Bucks and Jesse the Body Ventura. Andre gets taken out. Savage delivers an elbow off the top rope to DiBiase. Hogan finishes him off with a leg drop for the three count, and the Mega Powers win. Elizabeth has shot everybody. Look at Jesse. He doesn't know what to do. I don't believe my eyes. Look at the Million Dollar Man. He doesn't know what to do. do. You don't know what to do. Look at Andre. He's bewildered. My toe. Well, this was, uh, you know, Ted DiBiase, just a great worker, kind of continuing that feud with Macho Man. Uh, they were still getting as much as they could out of Hogan and, and Andre. Fortunately, Andre, I mean, you could just tell he was really struggling to keep up in this match. Uh, you know, and then you got, <laughs> it's funny, then you got Virgil on there, Lonely Virgil. <laughs> and, uh, of course, the great Miss Elizabeth, but... It, it was funny because, like, I remember in school the day after this pay-per-view, I didn't get a chance to see it. My parents didn't get it. But the next day, the buzz was Miss Elizabeth, what she did on the uh, edge of the ring. But what they was all, what everyone was saying in school, oh, she stripped down. She was naked. I mean, basically, she was wearing a bikini bottom that she pulled her skirt yeah. off. But, I mean, it was the talk. It was like, oh, we got to get the video so we can pause it. Right when she does that, I mean, you know, all these 10-year-old boys thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And and it's so funny because then you think about, like, eight years later, what was happening on Monday Night Raw. So those those 10-year-olds in 1998 uh, had a much different perception than I had as a 10-year-old in 1988. It was a completely different world. But, I mean, classic match between both of these teams. But I, uh, I didn't like the Mega Powers going over, but I kind of knew they had to. After the match, you can see the frustration start to build with Savage towards Hogan as Hogan picks up Miss Elizabeth and hugs her a little too long. This was a small nugget and the start of a slowly setting up a breakup and a feud with them down the road. Yeah, the buildup for WrestleMania Five, the Mega Powers would, uh, you know, over the next six months after this, it would just be about the buildup to WrestleMania Five. And yeah, that's a great nugget because like. When you watch WrestleMania Five, they show all these little nuggets. Hey, uh, you know, Hogan got the pin one time when it should have actually been uh, Macho Man that had it. Then, you know, there's a scene where, I guess, uh, you know, Hogan had kind of held her too long. Then Macho puts 
Liz on his shoulder. Hogan puts his hand on her derriere, kind of, you know, just saying great job, but kind of patted her a little bit. Started planting the seeds for Macho Madness, where he absolutely uh, went crazy at WrestleMania Five. But, uh, you know, I, I, I like how they had a long-term plan. They already knew in SummerSlam, yep. hey, this is going to be our WrestleMania match, so let's build it. Instead of this last minute, let's try to throw stuff together. The long-term planning, I think, is what made it a great story. Absolutely. Well, that was SummerSlam 1988. Pretty good show overall. Well, if I was to rate it, I would definitely give it a thumbs up. Uh, what? What? Now, on on the card, would you give it a thumbs up or thumbs down, Sumo? I give it a th- I give it a thumbs up, man. Uh, what was your favorite match on the card? As I said earlier, uh, Rick Rude's my favorite heel, but the match with JYD wasn't that great. I would have to go with the main event, probably Mega Powers and Mega Bucks. Yeah, I think I'd have to go with the main event as well. Definitely not the most technical match, but. Uh, just had the crowd just in their palm of their hands. Uh, worst worst match of the night for me uh, would probably be, uh, even though it was an epic moment, would be the Warrior uh, knocking off the 400-day reign of Hockey Talk. But really, that's all he could do. What, what would be your pick for worst match of the night? Uh, other than that, let's see. I don't know, maybe the Bad News Brown, Ken Patera. Yeah, that one. I mean, the crowd was pretty, uh, pretty silent on that. Uh, I think I heard Jr. use a line the other day. Uh, it was uh, as flat as a uh, plate of piss. So, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> that's a Jim flatter Ross line, a, not not mine, but uh, flatter than a plate of piss. Yeah, have yeah. I have to remember that one. But overall, man, this card would set the foundation. Uh, the buildup, a lot of the rivalries that were starting here would ultimately culminate at WrestleMania five and the beginning of the era of the warrior coming up that would rise quickly and then almost fall just as quickly. Well, we are winding down. You got anything else? Well, I do want to, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, graduation. I've been to three graduations uh, after Saturday. I'll be to three graduations in the last week. Of course, uh, TLSM, we got a chance to cover Yellville summit. Uh, Then the night after that, they did a special celebration for the uh, graduates over at Cotter that some of the parents put together. Uh, And then this weekend, going to be doing flipping. But the thing I am really struggling with, I mean, this will be my third graduation. Every time Pomp and Circumstance comes on, I I, I literally want to do an, oh, yeah. I mean, it it was tough. We were filming the Yellville game, and you're on there being Mr. School Board Guy all professional and serious. You know how hard it was for me not to climb up and get on top of the press box and start doing a macho and some of his mannerisms from the top. Well, congratulations to all the seniors out there, not just locally, but all over the place. 2020 has been a crazy year. Uh, One of the most unique classes in high school history, probably. Uh, But that about wraps it up, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at The Slop Drop, on Twitter at The Slop Drop 1. Wherever there's a podcast, we are there. Check us out. Give us a, uh, a good rating and a review. It doesn't cost you a penny, but it helps us a lot. And until next time, we're out of here. I love you. Goodbye and good night.